welcome to the 11th edition of HGF's Fashionably IP podcast. My name's Rebecca Field. I'm a chartered trademark attorney at IP law firm HGF, and I'm joined by my colleague Lee Curtis, also a chartered trademark attorney here at HGF. Hello. As you know, the Fashionably IP podcast has been developed from the success of the Fashion and IP LinkedIn group, which is run by us and now has over 13,000 members, including many of the leading IP council across the world, both in-house and in private practice. This podcast series finds inspiration from the subjects commented on in that group. If you're not a member of the Fashion and IP group, please find it amongst the groups on LinkedIn and simply apply to join. To be clear, this podcast is not legal advice, and if you have any queries on the points we have raised, please contact us directly at either rfield at hgf.com or lee at lcurtis at hgf.com. This podcast is the second in a series of three podcasts on key aspects of design law in the UK and EU, with a fashion spin of course. Our plan is to run a second series of podcasts on key aspects of trademark law in the UK and EU in due course, and yet again, of course, a fashion spin. However, we thought it would firstly tell you a bit about HGF once again. Please don't get bored if you've heard this all before. This bit will be over soon. So, HGF. Well, HGF is one of the leading IP firms in Europe. We have offices across the UK, the Republic of Ireland, the Netherlands, France, Germany, Austria and Switzerland. Indeed, we have just moved offices in Dublin and opened a new office in Belfast. We manage the IP portfolios of many of the world's leading companies and can do all things IP, whether that is clearing your IP, registering your IP or indeed enforcing your IP. Given this podcast is about design law, I should mention that HGF has a large and growing design practice. We advise leading fashion brands on design clearance and provide advice and file numerous design applications, not only in the UK and EU, but across the globe. Now back to Rebecca and fashion design. So in this 11th podcast, we're going to talk about novelty and the scope of infringement rights, an important concept in the field of registered and unregistered design rights in the UK and EU. Issues of novelty and the scope of infringement rights are often linked in the UK and EU design law. Lack of novelty attacks are often used in the defence of design claims and often the owners of design rights can get entangled in squeeze arguments by defendants to such claims. Prior art can be used to narrow the scope of protection of design rights in the UK and EU and potentially put at jeopardy the whole right itself. Also, it should be remembered that neither UK or EU registered designs undergo any novelty examination at all. So often the first time the validity of a registered design is tested is at the time a registered owner actually tries to enforce it. So turning to registered design rights first... What is the test for novelty, Lee? Well, the test for novelty is identical for both the UK and EU registered designs. Registered designs in the UK and EU must be new and have individual character to be deemed novel. A design is new if no identical design or no design whose features differ only in immaterial details have been made available to the public before the filing or priority date of the application or registration, whatever is the earlier date. 
A design has individual character if the overall impression it produces on the informed user differs from the overall impression produced on a such user by any design which has been made available to the public before the filing date or the priority date of the application or registration, whatever is the earlier. You might ask, who is the informed user? Well, the informed user is an artificial construct of the court. It will be for the judge to decide in each case usually following submissions by each party to decide who is the informed user in any case. Usually that informed user is not a designer who has in-depth knowledge of the whole design corpus. Often it is a buyer or sometimes indeed it's a consumer who has some design knowledge but they're not an expert in the design field concerned. We've talked about self-disclosure in our last podcast and any disclosures made by the applicant or registrant of the design in the 12-month grace period before the filing of the design registration does not impact the question of novelty, otherwise it would make the 12-month grace period useless. Also, if a competitor, for example, is aware of the design of a dress that has just been released and a design registration has not been filed yet and one is still in the 12-month grace period, the competitor cannot deliberately copy the design and release it to the public and effectively destroy the novelty of any subsequently filed design application or registration. I would say the test of newness is relatively an easy hurdle to overcome and generally the design only essentially needs not to be identical to something that's been released to the public before. The scope of individual character, however, is a moving target. In a cluttered design field, to be novel, a registrant will have to argue that the design does not give the same overall impression to what has gone before to merit novelty. But in such a field, that will naturally narrow the infringement scope of the registration granted. In a less cluttered design field, the registrant will have much more room for manoeuvre. So we've been talking about infringement. What is the test uh, of infringement for registered designs in the UK and the EU, Rebecca? Thanks, Lee. A competitor will infringe a UK or EU registered design if they produce a product to a design which is identical to the registered design or to any design which does not produce a different overall impression on the informed user. To be clear, one does not have to show copying with the design to establish infringement of a UK or EU registered design. If one were simply to copy a registered design, then that would be a fairly obvious design infringement. But what is the test of overall impression on the informed user? Again, this is a moving target to a degree and very fact-specific to each case. As highlighted in recent cases, when considering whether an alleged infringing design and a registered design give the same overall impression, the task of the court is not to identify the closest prior art and then to decide whether the accused design is closer to that prior art or closer to the registered design. There is a continuous spectrum of possibilities, but the more strikingly different registered design is from the design corpus generally and the fewer in the corpus that are close to it in appearance, the more likely it is that an accused design with something of the registered design's unusual features will produce the same overall impression. However, it has been accepted in non-fashion registered design infringement cases, the Procter & Gamble & Co versus Reckitt Benckiser UK Limited case regarding an air freshener dispenser, that this test is inherently rather imprecise. An article may reasonably seem to one person to create a different overall impression and yet not to another person. It is always so with the scope of rights in a visual work. 
you need to cover not only exact imitations, but also things which come too close. Whatever words you choose, you are bound to leave a considerable margin for the judgment by any court. So it's a difficult task to assess overall impression in the design clearance searches we conduct for fashion clients, but we do try. So, Rebecca, what is the novelty test for UK and EU unregistered design right? Well, Lee, the tests of novelty between UK and EU unregistered design rights are slightly different. For UK unregistered design right, the design must be original and not commonplace in the design field in question. Original denotes not copied and not commonplace is not defined in the Act, but suggests not widely acknowledged, perhaps, in the design field. For EU unregistered design right, the design must be new and have individual character, as with registered designs. It should also be noted from the Karen Millen case before the Irish courts, which concern the design of a blouse, that EU unregistered design right can come about by the combination of non-distinctive elements if they create a distinctive whole. So, what is the infringement test for unregistered design rights, Lee? Well, unregistered design rights are not monopoly rights as such. What they prevent is the copying of the design, so they are different to registered designs. The owner can prevent unauthorised dealing, for example, by putting on the market, importation, exportation or possession uh, of the infringing articles. The rights extend to copies which do not produce on the informed user a different overall impression. Unregistered design right can be quite hard to search for. It's by definition an unregistered design right. Often one has to make some presumption of novelty in any searches, and often the date of release of the design in question can be of major importance. For example, EU unregistered design right only lasts three years, uh, as is the case with continuing and supplementary unregistered design right in the UK. Standard UK unregistered design right, which only protects shape and configuration, can, however, last between 10 and 15 years. Thanks, Lee. We hope you've enjoyed our 11th Fashionably IP podcast and more will follow in the months to come. Please do feel free to share this podcast and rate it on the various platforms. Also, feel free, if you've not already done so, to listen to all of our previous podcasts. Thanks very much for listening and good luck with creating those designs. Goodbye. Goodbye.